When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new crust up. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. I'm Bob Wankel. Uh, coming off of uh, a missed episode last week uh, due to the birth of my son, and it was a celebratory opening day <laughs> earlier that day on Thursday morning. Welcome a new baby to the world. And then right around, I don't know, I guess about what time did that game finally end on Thursday? About 7, 7.30? Yeah, that's right. Um, I kind of just said, okay, well, there's bigger, more important things in life that you get to worry about that you deal with now rather than Phillies baseball. So that probably brought a, a little bit of perspective to the day. Uh, and then things didn't really get much better the rest of the weekend for the Phillies, Anthony. And I'm going to bring you in here and kind of let you set the tone because – I don't know if it's a lack of sleep. I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm just my, – my fuse is a little bit shorter than it usually would be. But uh, I thought that this weekend was – I don't know. I'll, I'll pick my word carefully here. I won't say it was disgraceful, but I'll say it was abysmal. Yeah, I mean, you have every reason to be ornery uh, if you're looking at what the Phillies provided for you for opening weekend. It was not a good weekend. I mean, there's a couple of, you know, small silver linings. But for the most part, you can't go 0-3 to start the year against the Texas Rangers. You can't because you know you're going into a series with the Yankees next. Uh, you know you're in one of the toughest divisions in baseball with the Braves and the Mets. You can't get yourself behind. We talked about this. We talked about how important the first month is because it's not a br- it wasn't a brutal month schedule-wise for the Phillies when you looked at it. And so you sit there and say, okay, look, you should have probably you should probably win two out of three against that team. If you came out one and two, you're not happy about it, but it's not the end of the world. And no three is not the end of the world either, but it's the worst possible scenario. You can't get any worse, right? You couldn't do worse than 0 and 3. But making and making it even piling onto that was that two of the three games, your pitching was just ill prepared. Yeah. Ill prepared. And it wasn't that they stink. It wasn't that they're just this player is not a good player or whatever. They were ill prepared. And I, that's what I want. That's the thing that I want to discuss the most about this because I blame this on the organization for how they handled their pitching staff in spring training. So I think we could get to that. There's so many different things to talk about. There's so many different layers to what transpired over the weekend, most of which were not very encouraging. Um, I, I think where I would start, though, would be right here. You you kind of alluded to it. This is going to be a really good division. We know that. And we know it's going to be hyper competitive. And you would think for a team that got out of the gate last year, 21 and 30, that there would be maybe a little bit more urgency to start the season. And you might look at it and say, well, hey, listen, you know, the first two months, it didn't matter last year. They overcame it. I would I would submit that that is not 
a sustainable path to get to where you want to go. So right. it kind of almost ties into what you're talking about and, and talking about the lack of preparation, maybe not revving it up to the, the degree necessary to hit the ground running at the start of the season. I just thought that they would have come out with a, a little bit more than that. And at times I thought they looked uh, unfocused. At times I thought they looked sloppy. You know, you talk about uh, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Are they good pitchers? Of course they are. Do I think that they're bad pitchers because they they didn't really perform particularly well the first time through? Uh, I, I Of course I don't think that they're bad pitchers because of that. I just thought from top to bottom the whole thing looked ill-prepared, unfocused, sloppy, it did not look like a team that was ready to play. The Phillies did not look ready to play this weekend. Now, we can make whatever sweeping statements we want. Is the season over? Probably not. Like, you know, like we don't have to get carried away here and make it more than it is. But don't give me the one of 162 or, you know, three of 162 stuff today. I don't want to hear that. Like, I, I don't want to hear that. They were unprepared to play. They did not execute. There was nothing that was crisp about their performance. I just I was stunned, frankly, that that team uh, came out and played that poorly for for three days. Yeah, well, I, I you're not wrong. I just again, I, I have a harder time tying it. You know, sitting there saying, "Well, yeah, the lineup they didn't do their do their job. They hit. I mean, they did hit, but there were so many different. I mean, listen, you you know, yeah. the numbers are the numbers. We are talking about just three games, but how many times, you know, CB Buckner? I think we can probably get to that too. Well, yeah, we he, do he had something to do with it on Saturday, but there were there were plenty of situations Sunday night, Thursday where they they could have piled on, they could have added, and they just didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to kill a team. They scored seven runs opening game, right? I'm not going to kill them for for missing a couple opportunities. Look, you're always going to miss opportunity. It's baseball. Yesterday was the one where you sit there and go, man, they really blew it. They had all those double plays. You get one run on nine hits. I think the Braves, what, walked four guys, five guys, too? Like, yeah. you can't have that many base runners and only come out with one run. That's if you want to look at a game where the where the lineup disappointed you. It's It's – game three of the series right because yeah. they actually got good pitching i mean bailey falter gave them a decent start and and then the bullpen did a nice job after after falter came out so like you look at that and you say okay well that's good the pitching came around it was the game that was the game that they didn't hit that was a game that you know and they hit, they did hit but just didn't, didn't hit timely and that was the that was the problem um so like i like i don't really worry too much about like i look at the lineup and say look there was a Christian Pache at bat in there where you and I were talking like you really have him bat in that spot. And I think that the Phillies put themselves in a tough spot because they put they went so right-handed heavy. They didn't have a lefty to come off the bench other than really Derek Hall that you trust. It's it's uh, why it, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I don't understand his place on this roster. Like I, I, I know he had a good spring. I, I know what his career numbers are. I know that he's a plus defender. You know, late in games, he's, he serves a purpose. There's value there. And I know that they feel that Kevin Long can – unlock the you know every underperforming hitter across the league it seems like but for that reason if you're gonna go right-handed heavy at the start of games you, you have no you have no option late in games and then yeah. you end up with that guy in big spots taking at bats and I'm sorry like there may be like I, I think that the, my biggest issue with him here on this roster right now is there's no there's no time for this. This isn't the 2016 Phillies where you're like, hey, maybe we can maybe we can work in this reclamation project on the fly. Like this team needs to win. They can't have a guy that's a, a career 140 hitter taking meaningful at bats. Like, I'm sorry, you just can't do it. Yeah, I hope so, I'm wrong about this, but I don't get it. 
the, the way I look at it, Bob, is, is that what we learned last night and, and the way this is going to have to be, and I hope the Phillies see this too, the way this is going to have to be until you add another right-handed bench bat that you can trust in those situations, which they can't, they don't have right now, is that when you face a left-handed pitcher, you're going to have to play a couple left-handed guys in your lineup just so that you have those options off the bench. Because what Bruce Bochy did in that game last night is he managed the hell out of it in the sense that he brought in lefties at the ideal time. Like he brought in Brock Burke to pitch to Pache in that spot, knowing the Phillies had no right-hander off the bench that could that could replace him. And so then he goes, well, if they want to bring in one of the lefties, fine. I'll go left-left with one of my better relievers. And then he, then he brings in Will Smith in the ninth inning, mm-hmm. knowing that he's going to face the bottom of the order and that if they want to pinch hit for Pache, they have no choice but to use a left-hander at that point. And Derek Hall is probably in that spot the only lefty that you trust to go left left only because and i say only because he hit actually hit lefties a little bit in spring training right. whereas um as good as uh, spring training as jake cave had he was not he's not a guy that hits lefties didn't really play a lot against him and and brandon marsh does not hit lefties well and you're not bringing stubs in in that spot so that so yeah i mean you know he took advantage but bochi took advantage of the fact that the phillies went righty heavy and if you look, if you want to give Josh Harrison or Mundo Sosa, you know, a start or even Pache for that matter, um, if you want to start one of them or two of them, that's fine. But you have to at least leave one of them. Yeah, you can't the start bench. all three. Like, and, and yeah. to me, I almost don't think that you can start Harrison and Sosa together. Like, because the one guy, you know, and Pache, he, I, I don't view him as a viable right-handed option. Like, that's not somebody yeah. I want to go yeah. to late. Correct. So if I need to have a, a viable option off the bench from the right side, like, I can't start the game with. Now, I know the argument is, listen, those guys are going to get bulk at bats early. That You know, both of them in the lineup theoretically should allow you to maybe build a lead and you're not worried about these late game matchups. Like, so I, I get it, right? Like, in a perfect world, if you said, well, listen, would you rather have a guy in the hole – that you can take at, you know, that you can go to late in the game, or would you rather get three at bats in a favorable matchup early in the game? Like I know the numbers play to start them, but if this is, and again, it's one game. It was, you know, I, I will allow for the fact that it was one game in the opening series here, but I, I don't, I'm not optimistic that that part of this gets better. Like I've been from the start since Reese Hoskins went down of the mind that they have to find a right-handed bat externally. And I mean, hell, I don't know, man. Like if it ends up being Scott Kingery by the middle of this month, I wouldn't be stunned by it. I, I really wouldn't at this point. No, because they're I, going to have to try something here. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's, that's crazy, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy that that's the name that, that, that comes up in this spot. Um, but it, it very well might be him. For the, at least for the short term, uh, so like to me, that's it's not good. But you know Bob, what? I, you know what I find really disappointing. I think that this is my main takeaway. Like in the moment, you know, you're watching it, you're watching it unfold, and you're 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 kind of annoyed or agitated or or whatever the word is. But my thought was, it's going to be hard to to compete in this division, and you are now two games behind the Braves already. You're two and a half games behind the Mets already. Like you've dug yourself a hole right off the bat. And the difference between going one and two and going oh and three in the opening series, the only team in the National League that didn't win a game this weekend. Like yeah. 
that's that's huge, man. Like you can't say that these games don't matter. Like you can't sit here and say that the Phillies are cooked, that they're going to underachieve, that this isn't the season everybody thought it was going to be. You can't say that. You especially can't say it after last year. It would you lose credibility, I think. Like I, if I came on here right now and told you, "Wow, the Phillies are in a lot of trouble." Like that would be ridiculous. Like you you cannot assess the next 159 games off of the first three. But what I can tell you is that if this is like a nip-tuck deal and the margin for error is so super thin, they have already – like they have taken that margin and they have shrunk it even more after one weekend. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and, that's and real. I think I, that's real. Yeah. The numbers are real. And I think I texted that to you too. Like I said, you know, maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was – maybe I was texting Anthony and said, I said, look, I said – you could you could have bad games. They happen in the course of 162. But don't tell me that a game on you know March April 1st isn't isn't as important as a game on October 1st because it is. Well, it's I saw just somebody say, well, like, listen, if this was in the middle of July, nobody would care about it. Now it's like I, I I get that. Like I I do understand that that point of view. But there's something to be said for this is your first series. Like you should come in a little bit more dialed in. You should be ready to go. No, but I get it. And look, we put more emphasis on certain than the games than the players do okay sure. we do there's no yes. question okay we want to see them get off to a great start because of how the season ended last year we want to see them you know play you know their best baseball right away and they haven't and so therefore we're going to have overreaction monday today right i mean and that's that's really yeah. what it's coming that's what's going and i'm not saying that i'm not saying that you're wrong because you're you're 100 percent correct right but at the same time you can't you can't you can't overreact but you also can't sit there and just slough it off either you're exactly right i mean that's the thing right like you can't overreact you can't go off the deep end here you can't be throwing stuff across the room and saying this is a disaster oh my god cancel cancel delete you can't do that but i i think that if you're a phillies fan and you go through an entire offseason and the expectations are so great and you're so hyped up and you're so excited for what's about to happen and then opening day is a bummer right and then you have to sit on that for an entire additional day on friday with no action then you come back saturday afternoon late afternoon you're like all right we got wheeler on the mound let's go like let's see my team let's work and then the whole cb buckner catastrophe happens and and then they're terrible to boot they lose 16 to 3 and there's a position player pitching the eighth inning the second game of the season and you're like what the hell is this and then you come back on national tv on sunday night and you blow a million missed opportunities offensively and, and you get swept out of texas like if you're a fan you're allowed to be annoyed by that. Like you're not a bad fan and you're not even irrational. If you're pissed off this morning, the Phillies got dusted by an average at best Rangers team. No, you're a thousand percent. Right. You're a thousand percent. Right. But, and, and yes, you should feel that you should feel that way. I tell you that as a fan, you should be pissed at your team. Like if you, you sat there and watched those three games this weekend, you're like, it's all right, boys. Like it's good. That's great. Like, no. that, I, I, I applaud you. Like if you said, boys, you know, sluggish start. No worries. We'll get them at the bank this weekend. You know, when we're, we're back in front of the home crowd, and yeah, that's great. You know, my my problem though is this. Let me roll this out to you. Yeah, Yankees aren't a bad team, man. Like, no, you're gonna see Garrett Cole this week too, who looked pretty pretty lubed up. You know, on opening day. Well, let's talk he, a little. Let's, all right. So well, let's talk about pitchers looking all right and pitchers not looking all right, Bob. Yeah. I mean, I'm you know we're we're. Um, you know, we're into this now and, you know, we're 15 minutes into the program and I'm getting a little antsy because I think that the real crux of the matter here 
was that the Phillies pitching was not prepared to start the season. And here, here's some little bit of data that I dug up. I looked it up. The Phillies <clears throat> threw 276 and a third innings in spring training in 31 spring training games. 32, I'm sorry, 32 spring training games. 276 and a third. The guys that were on their that made the opening day roster, plus guys that were kind of in the mix who got hurt in spring training, so like Sanchez, Nelson, and Painter, right? Combined all the guys <clears throat> through 131 and two-thirds innings. That means that the other 144 and two-thirds innings thrown in spring training were thrown by minor league pitchers or guys who had zero chance of making this team coming in. That's 52% of their spring training innings. If you're in spring training, what the hell are you there for? Okay. You know, Aaron Nola threw 13 and a third. Zach Wheeler threw 10 and a third. Now they're going to, all right, now here's the other thing. They're going to say, well, you know the argument. Yeah. We did simulated games on the backfield where we were, it was more, we controlled the timing. We controlled the up downs. We were able to let them get their work in. We're allowing them to build up their arm and, and, you know, get, you know, get the, the work in that they need. And I get all that. Right. But here's the difference, Bob. When you're doing those, when you're having those uh, backfield games, internal games in spring training, you're zero leverage, zero. I mean, there's none. It, there's there, and as a competitive person, right? I mean, if you're a player, are you really worried about the outcomes on those games, or are you just worried about getting the work in? Right. Right. Get, so, sorry about getting more working. Yeah. Right. So there's there is a major difference between competing against another team, even in exhibition. You know, even throwing those innings against somebody else, throwing them against the Pirates or throwing them against the Blue Jays or whatever. There's um there that matters more, even though the game outcome doesn't matter. But it's a slightly higher level of leverage of pitches that you're throwing than just throwing to your teammates on the backfield. As a comparison, I just want to throw this out just so that you so that you know we, we're not just stuck on just that and say, well, every team does that. I looked at the Atlanta Braves. Now Braves played one less game than the Phillies, so they had 262 and two-thirds innings, so slightly less innings. Their roster guys, and then a couple of guys who got injured in spring training as well, like a Kyle Wright and Race Hall Glacius, um, Mike Soroka, their roster guys threw 169 and a third. And they're not, and the guys that are minor leaguers, not making the, no shot of making the team, through ninety three and a third, fifty one right. and a third fewer innings by by the guys who don't matter. Now, who was the who threw the most innings for the Phillies in spring training? Bailey Falter. Did he look like he was prepared for the season when he threw last night? He did. He, he looked. Did. You know, what I'm saying I'm not trying to make yeah. it out to be Bailey Falter's a star. I know, but he but he looked to be himself. Whereas Nola Wheeler, they had they didn't look anything. Well, like you himself. know what the pushback here is going to be, and and th this is something I'm kind of curious. Get your your thoughts on this. The Phillies will probably tell you that hey, listen, we're going to take a little bit of extra care with guys like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola after how far they were pushed last season, and if that means that they're going to get off the slow starts in April, then so be it. Um, you know, we will sacrifice the short term for the long term. Uh, do do you buy that? Or are you? But that's what I'm trying to say. No, and okay. and, I, and I, the reason I don't buy it is because I don't think that they needed that much more. It's not like Garrett Cole went out and threw 40 innings in spring training. He threw 22, right? right? I mean, I'm not sitting there t sitting here telling you that Nola and Wheeler needed to have three more 
lengthy starts in spring training. I think one more might have done it, right? I mean, that really, I mean, I, you get them, you get them up around twenty innings in spring training. I think you're okay with that. I think I'm okay with that. So we want to present a show that that goes a little deeper. There's some thought. I, I I don't want to overreact. I don't want to play to the lowest common denominator and just be this ranting asshole. Like I I don't want to do that. Right. So I think about what happened this weekend, and I'm trying to figure out what's real here. You make a compelling case. Is that what caused this from Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola and uh, the slew of guys that came out of bullpen on on Thursday and Saturday and were just dreadful, or is it just is it just two games where guys just didn't throw the ball that well, or you know, especially on opening day where? Hey, listen, it was just that kind of game. You know, Jacob DeGrom's a future Hall of Famer, and he was brutal as well. Like, yeah. It was just the – it was the ball. It was the atmosphere. It was something about that game contextually that just kind of got wild, you know? And C.B. Buckner kind of sabotaged the game early on Saturday, and it sort of changed the direction and flow of that game. Like, is it is it possible that it's just – it's almost like happenstance? It, it's – like hey listen they didn't they didn't go as hard in the spring and look what it got you and it just happens to align so it's cute and it's easy to talk about or is it real and i wouldn't be almost inclined to say like listen i need to see a little bit more here but the fact that it seemingly was everybody it was everybody you know it's soto who was behind to begin with brogdon was atrocious on thursday i mean it was everyone now if the one, if, the one really, and here I'm gonna throw this at you. I know, the, I know. The one, the one reliever who pitched really well, I know, was, was Andrew Bellotti, right? I he pitched know. all three, they used him in all three games. Bellotti got almost 10 innings in spring training. That makes a lot more sense, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're throwing, if you're a relief pitcher and you throw 10 innings in a month, that's about what you normally throw. That's a, that's a 60 ish inning season, right? Andrew Bellotti comes out and he looks good. Why? Because he got the work. He got his normal workload in spring training. That, so to me, you know, Soto, he threw four and two-thirds innings in spring training. Now, I get it. He was he had visa issues, right? I mean, that's a thing. And they insisted he was still on his throwing program. He was working out at their camp in the Dominican Republic. Okay, fine. That's true. Again, it goes back to your earlier point, though. It's yeah. not the same thing. It's not the same. Yeah. Exactly. And he comes in and looks and looks all terrible. But then, of course, his second outing yeah. last night, he was he was awesome. Yeah, I mean, if there's any silver lining here, one of the things that we always worry about with Connor Brogdon, too, is yeah. confidence and momentum, and things seem to get away from him, and we saw that his yeah. first time out. And then last night, again, wasn't lights out or anything, but again, it felt like it was a step in the right direction. Soto was outstanding last night. You saw yeah. what you can kind of dream on with him a little bit. So that's where you kind of fall back into this trap of, like, it's three games. Let's let this thing play out a little bit. But I'm with you. Uh, I think that – I know after the, the first game, especially with Aaron Nola, we talked a little bit. I know that one of the big talking points was the pitch clock, and I know how you feel about the pitch clock. We don't need to go back down that road here at this point. I don't love it either. Uh, I know some people do, some people don't, whatever. I think that all the arguments have kind of been laid out there at this point. Let's just see what happens, although Bryce Harper did have some interesting words. In it was game a great last line last night. Yeah. We want to so, get our game. We want to take our, our game, game back. back. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we will see how this thing uh, evolves over time, but in the short term, this is the reality. And I also wonder, 
I know it comes across as an excuse. I, I know that Aaron Nola struggles specifically when people after the game start talking about the pitch clock. They say, come on, man. Like, you know, that's you got to you got to be kidding me. I would kind of go back to it, though, and say that it sort of ties into this theme that, again, like the Phillies seemed unprepared, like the Phillies mm-hmm. seemed unprepared to handle the pitch clock, to handle the momentum. They didn't really know how to kind of you know, bottle that thing once it got away from them. Um, it was weird. Like they just I watched a lot of baseball around the league this weekend. So did I. Very few teams looked as sloppy as the Phillies did. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's It's almost like. The Phillies were were the 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 one team was like oh man we never think we didn't think of that mm-hmm. oh, we didn't think of that like I mean the freaking Rangers three times all three games had a pitch com issue yeah that you know oh pitch com pitch com pitch com how about just, last night on the Turner steal I mean yeah. he's he's two strides to second base yeah Jonah jo- jo- Heim sees it and and calls for time and gets yeah. it and sends sends Turner back to first look they. They've found ways to kind of, you know, and it's annoying to watch, right? Like, oh, come on, man. How can you keep having these pitch cops? And, you know, it's the same umpire crew. And don't you sit, sit there sit, sit there and say to yourselves, well, what the hell, man? Are you guys using off-brand pitch com? Like, what are yeah. you doing that yours constantly breaks down, but the Phillies haven't had a problem yet, right? I mean, right. so, you know, should the Phillies be doing the same thing? Should they be trying to game the system a little bit too? Maybe. Maybe they should. But I mean, and they're not alone. I mean, there are other things that, that people are doing, other things things that teams are doing, and 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 having some early success with with gaming it. And the Phillies just didn't. And I found it interesting during that whole thing when Thompson went out for an explanation on the Turner one. I don't know if you saw it, Bob, but at the very very end of that, he talks to the umpire and he goes back to the dugout. He goes over and he starts talking to JT, and they kind of nod at each. Oh, okay, kind of conversation. And who knows what the hell he said? It, they they could have been talking about you know the the meal on the flight home for all we know, right? So I can't say that it's 100 percent tied to that, but I'm pretty confident that it was learning what they were what just took place and maybe trying to understand it a little bit. Like the, you know maybe JT doesn't know. Hey, I could do that, and it's a disengagement, whatever. Who knows? I mean, the, you know, so many people don't know the rules. We saw that on the opening day. When Jeff Nelson called them on that pitch comp, called them for a ball, and then re- they reviewed it and took the took the ball off, which didn't make any sense to me, right? right. I mean, and then, and then Rob Manfred tried to say, "Oh, he didn't know that the pitch comp was broken," which was total BS because they, Degrom showed him the pitch comp, made him listen to the pitch comp, and so this Thursday, Jeff Nelson didn't know is crap because he knew. Like, but so teams are finding way, my whole point, and I don't want to go into the tangent here, but my whole point is, is teams are finding ways to work work within the pitch clock rules and around the pitch clock rules, and it seems like the Phillies have zero. The Phillies' response thus far has been like, we don't like it. It's messing us up, whether that's being directly said or implied. Right. I mean, that's, that's been the tone here. Like, well, the, the clock, the pitch clock. And you're like, I'm sorry. Like, I know it's game one, game two, game three. Who cares? Figure it out. You know, yeah. like, I don't want to hear. I do not want to hear about the pitch clock and the Phillies after this weekend. I just don't like you. You've got to adjust. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm not a fan, but it's if it, you know, like, listen, it's I would there. concede that. Hey, listen, if you're a guy like Aaron Nola, who's like a rhythm and tempo and a guy that wants to work slowly. And, and really try to break tempo, break rhythm, be disruptive that way. And that's your game. And that's the way that you've grown up and learned how to pitch. And, you know, that was, 
those tactics are what you rely on to give yourself an advantage and build comfort. And I get that. And when you're being asked to jump out of something that you've trained in, if you train in a certain style for your entire life and you're being asked to do something different, I, I get that there's an impact there, but you're also a professional who's seeking a $200 million contract, you know, supposedly, uh, you, you need to figure that out. You, you've been given a long enough window now to think through what that's going to look like. You know, you don't have to throw the ball even to like pacing, get on the mound, dry, like towel throw. Like you can, you can gain comfort and, and work within a certain pace without blowing out your arm, without even throwing a pitch. Like mm -hmm. you, you've got to find a way to adjust. And so that's going to be the one thing moving forward that, I think really is going to work, be worth keeping an eye on. The one, the one thing I will say in light of all of this is here, zero and three, is that the, the one thing I can't tell you is that the Phillies are are a bad team or that the Phillies aren't as good as we thought they were going to be. I I just don't believe that. I still think that Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler are very good. You know, at the top of this rotation, I still like Walker. Falters a fine back of the rotation piece. The indications are on Ranger Suarez that he's progressing in the right way. Like, there's a lot of positives here still How about and the I Bryce like, Harper How about the yeah, Bryce Harper I mean, positive Bryce Harper, you know the way that they talked last night on Sunday Night Baseball you think like is May 15th in play yeah, I, I know I don't see that I, I really don't but I don't know what it does like I don't know the upside of pissing positive about Bryce Harper projections if I'm the Phillies only then to have him come back the third week of June like it doesn't make any sense so right. I, I don't Think like I just cannot see a scenario where this guy is playing in the middle of May for the Phillies. But is that May 29th, 60 day IL target that they kind of opened the door on uh, last week? Is that in play here? Yeah, it sure as hell feels like that. That's legitimate and almost the expectation at this point. Well, you, you, you did. We did look at the schedule, Bob. I mean, remember how when we were originally saying June, he might come back a little bit early because they have that big six game stretch against the Braves and the Mets here at Citizens Bank Park starting June 20th. If you look at the May schedule, they have a big six-game schedule on the road against the Braves and the Mets that starts May 25th. Do you possibly come back, you know, the series before against Arizona just to get a few swings in and then you're ready to be in the lineup for the Braves and the Mets the first time you play them? I kind of think that that's now the new target, if yeah, you well, want my honest opinion. World. In a perfect world, you're off to a really good start and you time it for theatrics and you time it for yeah. the moment. At this point, you're like, they need this guy back. <laughs> get him back in the lineup. <laughs> you better get him here now. They need yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but you know what? what's really crazy? And it kind of ties back to what I was just saying. Like, I don't want to state the obvious here, but like, this is still, I think, a pretty good rotation. It's still what I think is a very good bullpen, despite what we saw in you know, this opening weekend. And the offense was was good. I mean, it was good. Yeah. It struggled with guys uh, on base last night. It was frustrating. It just felt like one of those weekends at that point. You're like, what else could go wrong here? But if I would have told you, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and rattle off stat lines after three games, but just, you know, go through the lineup, go through the starters in that lineup, and I tell you that, hey, Trey Turner had a good weekend. JT Romuto had a good weekend. Nick Castellanos did. Alec Bohm did. Uh, Sosa, I know he didn't play all three, you know, start all three games, but he had a good weekend. And Bryson Stott had a really good weekend. Yep. All those guys were, I would say, excellent offensively through three games. Kyle Schwerber wasn't. Tough weekend for him. Yep. But if I would have said all of those players performed pretty well, I mean, they were all hitting over 350. Every player I just named there was over 350 for the weekend in a, yep. in a limited sample. If I would have said all these guys raked, you know, for three days, it probably walk out two out of three at least, right? 
I mean, so yeah. that's where I kind of say, like, you got to pump the brakes here. You, you have to kind of, like, take a deep breath and say, some weird things happened down there this weekend. You can be very frustrated and annoyed by it, but I wouldn't be overly, overly concerned by it. Yeah, and that's and that's where I am with it too, Bob, because, yeah, you, you, look, you're staring down the barrel of the Yankees with two of, with, you know, I know Walker's starting tonight, um, but you got to go, you got to throw Matt Strom against that lineup tomorrow. So you got a bullpen game basically against a, a right-handed heavy Yankees lineup. And then probably Nola Cole on Wednesday is what I think it's going to be. The Yankees haven't announced uh, when Cole's going to pitch. He could pitch Tuesday, um, but I think it's going to be Nola Cole Wednesday. Um, so you're looking at three very tough games, and there's a real possibility of you coming home one and five, right, to start the season. And even with that possibility, even with that possibility, it's you're right. It's not worth panicking about because the lineup, I think the lineup showed it's going to hit, hit a lot. It needs it needs to be better with runners in scoring position. I think that this was a thing last year, um, and we talked about it ad nauseum, and I think it's going to be the same thing again this year. They, they don't move runners well. They don't hit, hit situationally well. Um, and I think that that's something that they, that's hopefully going to be addressed at some point, or at least try to be addressed. But when you have five players, and, and then Sosa would be, I guess, the sixth because he had a two-hit game yesterday. But you had five players averaging more than a hit a game in the series in your lineup. You're going to score runs. Yeah. You're, you're going to score. You're well, going to score this runs. This is really interesting. I mean, you start to look at these matchups this week in New York, and you're going to see Nestor Cortez, who's no slouch today. Yeah, yeah. Domingo Herman is okay. He's interesting. You know, he's yeah. not a, a bum. Uh, yeah. You know, and again, like you're in a spot where you're going to be throwing a bullpen game and and then you yeah. come back on wednesday like i'm looking right now on uh the yankees official website and they have cole nola on uh they did they did an, so then they're putting wednesday. they're putting cole in on wednesday yeah that and was like, my thought yeah you know listen i can be optimistic about aaron nola bouncing back but like do i do i bet on the phillies wednesday like do are they the betting favorite wednesday they're not they're they're certainly not they're not gonna be the favorite in any th any one three of these games so like let me just paint this like let me just paint this scenario for you. Here come your 2022 National League champion, Philadelphia Phillies. It's the home opener on Thursday, Citizens Bank Park. And here come the Phillies, they're 0-6. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, I, I think they'll get at least one. I do think they'll get one in New York. They they come home 0-6. So like, just humor me for a moment. Yeah. What's the... What's the crowd reception like on opening day? I think they still get the I still think they still get a very warm response because it's it's the first time we've seen them since the since the World Series, right? So I think that the response is still warm. But do I think that it's a patient warm warmth? No. I think that it's I think it's a situation I, I where I agree. If you're down three one in the third <laughs> inning of that game, I feel like it's going to get nasty very, very yes. early. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they would. They have to score quick against the Reds on Thursday if you're zero and six. Even if you're, even if you're one and five, I think you got. I think that's the scenario. I, the I only, the only way, to... the only way that crowd is not that way is if they go in and win this series in New York. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that would be uh, certainly that would be certainly helpful to the cause. Yeah. Um, I I think that you're almost like trying to as a Phillies fan say like, okay, if you're doing this week by week, like, what do you hope for? You know, what can you what can you kind of aim for here? And I, I feel like that you hope to win a game in New York 
and then you hope, and you really should. You talk about being favored or being an underdog. They'll be favored in all three of those games next weekend. Yeah. So you you kind of almost like try to aim for the we need a sweep to sort of offset what the hell just happened down there last weekend. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, is there some path where the Phillies get through uh this Sunday at four and five? Like, yeah, and would that be the end of the world? No, of course it wouldn't. So, like, there's a path here to to get this thing stabilized, but um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, Bob. If we go back, right? Remember when we went through April and we were making our predictions? Yeah. yeah. I think we both had them at five and four, right? Mm-hmm. Three, five, yeah, five and four after the mm-hmm. first nine games. It's going to be tough to get there. Yeah. I mean, we had them three and three after the first six. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's going to be tough to get to five and four. But if you get to four and five, yeah. it's not, again, it's not, it's like, okay, we're only off, we were only off one. Uh, you know, we did talk though. We talked two weeks ago about this idea that this team needs to get off to a, a functional start here. Like they are, I think, in a, a pivotal spot with this fan base and the relationship right now. There's this, there's this idea that you know uh, baseball is back in Philadelphia. The fans are back and they're going to be bought in this year. And we know the whole the, the traditional deal. April and May are a little bit more difficult. It's not the summer yet. Schools aren't out. The weather can be a little bit inconsistent. Some of the teams that are coming in here, the Colorados of the world aren't going to be a huge draw. So I don't think that the expectation is, hey, they're going to put 35 in the, the stands every night. But we did talk about the need to, to get off to a, a pretty good start here, a promising start that sort of gives people some, some you know, belief that, yeah, you know what, this team is really truly back and that they're going to be the, the real deal this summer. And you get off to this, cata- you know, catastrophic start, um, it could put a dent in the plans a little bit. Like this isn't, this is an important week for this team, the standings and, you know, their own psyche and, and all of those things. But from a business standpoint, yeah, it's important that they don't let this thing spiral out of control. And unfortunately, here we are, second podcast into the regular season. And we're talking about, like, they got to weather the storm. I mean, that was not the message that I think you or I were expecting to, or the conversation that you or I were expecting to have. No, it's it's certainly not, Bob. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, it, it's just – it was just a frustrating weekend of, of baseball for, for Phillies fans. And, you know, it was frustrating for us, too. Like, we're sitting there watching. We we hyped this team up a bit, right? I mean, we both had them as 90-win teams and, you know, second place in the division, and they're going back to the playoffs. And, you know, they're going to have a shot at the World Series again. Like, you know, we're putting reputations at stake here in a lot of ways, right? Um, so, yeah, so for us, it's frustrating, too, because it's like, did we really did we really misread this? Is it is this team not as good as we thought they were? And I don't think we can get I don't think we can go down that path. Like, I, I yet. I mean, yes, it was a, as, as aggravating a weekend as it was. But you're right for the organization. This is huge because you cannot get off to a shit start. You can't. You have to you have to be good by the end of this month, because guess what? If you're not. You might lose a little bit of the fan. You're not going to lose a lot because I think the fans are they're not going to bail quick. But you're going to you could lose a little bit, and then all of a sudden there's some other stuff to start talking about in the sports landscape, right? I mean, the Sixers are going into their playoff run now. Right. The Eagles are getting ready for the draft. Right? I mean, those things are going to be happening, and maybe the Phillies then start to take that back seat again. There's so much. It's so much better for them when they are the driving driving the the conversation on the sports landscape like they used to back 07 to 12. Right. That's so much better for them in this in these months when they're the team to talk about. And I don't know, man. Like you can't you can't risk falling back again because 
that's where you lose the team from a business side. You lose the fan base for the for the summer, and you don't want to do that. that. Month of May is real. I mean, if if you're sitting yeah. here this right now, and if if you're sitting here listening to this right now, and you're saying these guys are getting a little ahead of themselves, just open up the schedule and, yeah. and take a look at what the Phillies are facing in the month of May, and you tell me if they they start the season one and seven what this might look like come Memorial day. I would argue that it could look very similar to what it looked like last Memorial day. And yeah. this time you don't have a manager to scapegoat. So, you know, I, I think, uh, I don't expect it to get there. You know, and I don't, I don't want this to come across like, this is my, my, you know, thesis. This is my projection, you know, and, and how I'm projecting this thing to work out. But, uh, I, I do believe that they are in a very, very critical period here. Or very early on, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're must-win games or they have to get two out of three. We're not going to do that. But right. they can ill afford to let this thing spiral. And for the reasons that we talked about earlier, which are, you know, you look up, the Braves got off to a decent start, the Mets got off to a decent start, and if that's the game you want to play this year, you know, falling behind by six, seven games the first month of the season isn't the way to do it. Correct. Correct. Um, I do know you wanted to kind of touch on a couple of individuals. Um, from what you saw this weekend so why don't we do that why don't we why don't we uh, jump over to the individual players so uh the the one player that i i wanted to talk about came with some good and bad which i guess is the case for a lot of phillies this first weekend but um let's talk a little bit about alec boom yeah um i thought offensively he he was very good uh Mm -hmm. and i mean you look at the swing against the grom on opening day opposite field drives the ball and and this is where you start to wonder like i've talked to some people i know you and i have talked about him as well uh some people think that he can be a top five finisher for a batting title uh some people feel that there is 25 30 home run potential in that bat to date, we haven't seen that. And I think what happens is he comes up, he's really good in 2020, struggles in 21. Last year, he rebounds. We kind of know his career arc, but we haven't seen an elite-level offensive player at any point that can kind of, like, do it all. What I saw this weekend was, I think, like, a hitter that is showing you in real-life game action that some of these these projections, some of these, you know, hyped-up projections – are possible like he to me looks like a guy that could hit 300 plus over not i'm not talking a 60 game 2022 or a, a 60 game 2020 season i'm talking about a real season he looks to me like a guy that could potentially be a 25 home run guy i think 30 is optimistic but like can he be somewhere between 20 and 25 i i think so and you know, I don't want to say that based off of three games, but I think that his progression, his career arc is sort of rounding into a point where you go, like, I can see it. Um, I think it's there. Defensively, though, one of the storylines that kind of emerged last year is that Alec Bohm's really turned himself into a pretty good third baseman. And like, I just do not agree with that. Uh, I don't I don't understand where that came from. I think that Alec Bohm has turned himself into a passable third baseman or a, a playable third baseman, a guy that won't absolutely kill you. But what I see this, you know, what I saw this weekend were some of the same issues. There's just like a disjointed approach in how he feels the ball. I know that he has the physical tools to do it. I just don't think he's a third baseman. I, I just don't believe that he is. And I know that there's this idea that, you know, hey, here he comes and it's step by step. Every year he's going to get a little bit better. I don't see it. Um, I don't know what your read is on it. 
I, I also don't want to move him back and forth between third and first. Like, but they have to, I guess, at this point. I don't really know what the alternative solution is, but I don't really want him playing first base two times a week if the plan is to really say he's our third baseman. Like, if that really is going to be what they want to do organizationally, I, I hate flipping him back and forth, but I, I really don't know what the alternative is. So I'm concerned. I think this is a long-winded way of saying I love the offense. I think that he is really going to take a huge step forward this year. But I think the headache, the, the defense is going to continue to be a headache and continue to be a problem. It, it could well be. Um, yeah, I, I, I did think that – I think you're spot on where he's turned himself into a passable third baseman. But what does that mean? Does that mean it, – it's still below average, right? I mean, you know, can, can he play third base? Yeah. He's not, he's not going to kill you, but he's also not going to play – you know, be a, a, a plus – defender over there the one the one thing that i want to do is say that could make it be like okay let's just still give it some more time and wait and see can he get to at least this level is i'm going to compare compare him to and i I don't think he's this kind of hitter but i want to compare him to austin riley from a defensive perspective i don't know if you remember the first two years austin riley was with the braves 2019 2020 he was a terrible third baseman i mean god awful third baseman 19 and 20 it was just not good he's not a great third baseman now but he's decent and i think it took you know years three and four to kind of get there um so is it possible that you know in this is boom being his third year that maybe through this year and into next year he becomes that becomes a decent average you know third baseman maybe do you think um, Alabama is playing third base for the Phillies in 2024? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I don't say it confidently, Bob, because I, I think it all depends on what they end up doing at first base. Well, in all, I, in all I, honesty, I, I mean, that's I what I agree it, with you. And that's yeah. the reason I asked the question, because I'm not so sure that Alec Boehm's going to be playing third base for the Phillies in July of 2023. I, I think that we might be trending toward a situation where, We'll see on Derek Hall. Like, you know, I, oh, I, I think that that's a big, big if. I think that's a bigger question right now than Bohm, in all honesty. But what I think you're going to get here, if this team's in must win mode now, and, and certainly now that they have to chase a little bit here, I just wonder what the, how much leash is going to be had for Derek Hall? Because I think what's going to end up happening here, and this is kind of my first prediction of the, of the year. I think Alec Boehm's going to end up going to first base. And, like, I don't love that. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a, a plus defender at first base. And I don't know if his game necessarily from an offensive standpoint profiles is a we feel comfortable with this guy at, at first. Like, I, I think, like, if you could get that production at third from Alec Boehm, like, on, from an offensive standpoint, you, you're like, oh, hell yeah. At first base, it's a little different, right? Like, mm-hmm. we look at a guy like Reese Hoskins and the numbers he puts up, and we're kind of like, yeah, but he's a first baseman. And he plays below. Like, the, the way that I, I guess the, the, the best way to explain this is, like, people are frustrated with Reese Hoskins and they say that his offensive output doesn't outweigh the, the you know defensive liability well look at the, look at the numbers that Reese Hoskins is putting up offense offensively like Alec Bohm hitting 22 homers hitting 305 is that enough for you in terms of like the offensive package at first base the, what I think is going to happen here though is Alec Bohm goes over to first and I think Edmundo Sosa is going to end up playing a ton of third base for this team like that's what I think is going to end up happening. That's that's how I see this thing playing out, probably within the next two months. It could. It could, but I definitely think that this is going to be a situation that they address 
via trade in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's adding a third baseman and Bone plays first or adding a first baseman and Bone plays third, whatever, I think that this is something that the Phillies are ultimately going to address. It's going to require some type of external move in order to do that, though. To keep Alex Bohm at third base, they're going to have to go outside the organization. Because right now, the two two fixes that they have from the right-hand side are both internal. One is Sosa off the bench, and the other one is probably Scott Kingery coming up and playing third base at this point. Like Mm -hmm. Those are probably the two short-term fixes, and they will probably investigate whether any of those fixes are sustainable. And then I think you go outside. So the the thing that I'm concerned about here is I think there's going to be a total lack of defensive consistency. I don't think he's good enough, you know, naturally. And now I think that they're going to just, because the situation calls for it, they're going to move him back and forth, back and forth. And this is one of the things when Reese Hoskins got hurt, we can say, yeah, they'll, they'll replace his, you know, below average defense, no problem. They can probably get somewhere close to his offensive output and aggregate, no problem. But there are other considerations to this, and it's not, I'm not talking about leadership. I'm just talking about now the instability that you've created within your infield dynamic. Uh, I think that this is very real, and it's, a, I think, maybe one of the biggest problems outside of rotational depth for this team right now. Uh, here's something that I think could be, could be telling a little bit. If you, if you want to see if, if they're, how they're thinking about it. They're playing the Yankees tonight. Facing Nestor Cortez is lefty. Does he go with the same lineup that he went with yesterday? I don't or, think so. Or is I, there I don't a change? think so. Not after scoring one run last night, not after running into those late inning issues that you ran into. I'd be surprised if it's the same lineup tonight. So what's different? Well, that's I get I think I think Brandon Marsh is in the lineup tonight. And we yeah, should yeah. we should put the, we should put this caveat out that we're recording this early on Monday morning, yeah. uh, and the lineup will be out probably around three thirty ish today. Uh, so you know after the fact, keep in mind we have not when we're we have not seen the we have no idea what the lineup is going to be. You may be listening to this after the lineup has come out. So at but at the time we're recording this, we don't know what the lineup is. But let, let me say this: I don't know how you can sell the idea that. Brandon Marsh has taken a huge step forward and that you are truly confident in his ability to hit left-handed pitching. And then in your first two opportunities to hit against left-handed pitching, you're not in the starting lineup. I agree. There's no way he does not start tonight. There's no way. I agree. I agree. I agree. Marsh has to be in the lineup, but that doesn't, that doesn't solve your problem. It does not solve the problem. Because that only makes the only right-hander on the bench is then Christian, Christian Pache, right? The only other thing I thought, and this is the only other thing I thought, if you really like having both Sosa and Harrison in the lineup against lefties, and, and I can't fathom doing this after his how well he hit the last two games, but do you give Stott the night off and have him off be able to come off the bench because he has proven that he can hit lefties? That's the only thing that I – I mean, that would be the only other alternative that I could think. Otherwise, you have to sit either Sosa or, or Harrison. And maybe you do that for the bench consideration, but let me tell you what I really don't want and what I I just genuinely hate. And if this is really what you have to do, you have to find a fix. You just cannot continue to do this. I do not want to take a young player who I find to be or who I think is going to be a core guy who is an ascending player. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you Bryson Stott's going to be a 10-time All-Star, but he's a guy on this team. like He's a dude on this team. 
I can't be benching a guy because, hey, listen, man, like we really like what you've done. The great start to the season, but we're going to sit you down tonight because in the late innings, we might need it's just not how you, not I, how you do it. I agree. I wouldn't do it. I, I was just trying to come up with an alternative that's different than last night. And, and I can't. I can't come up with one. Yeah. I, I mean, you, I, I would not take Stott out of the lineup. I would not take Turner. I mean, uh, 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 I would not put uh, just make Marsh the only change in the lineup. I think that you have to sit Harrison or Sosa, and probably Harrison is the guy that sits. And you probably, but then, but then who come else comes into the lineup? Like, do you do you DH Derek Hall or play him at first base against a lefty? Like, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, that's what this comes back to. They're they're a bat short. They're they are a player short. Yeah. Uh, when they have to navigate late game situations. Yeah. I mean, what do you do? I mean, that's so to me, I, that's what I don't I don't know where you go because you really give the other team an advantage if you go all right handed. How long? Like, let's let's talk about Scott Kingery real quick. Uh, a couple homers over the weekend yes. there with the Iron Pigs. Like, you know my my thought here, but. <laughs> That was with a that was with Reese Hoskins on this roster. That was with the yeah. uh, you know without a dire need for another right-handed bench guy. Um, like two weeks of this. Like how much more does he have to do to get a look here? I know that there's forty-man implications and all, but yeah. So it's funny, Bob, because this is it's so reminiscent to last year when we were talking about center field and we were like, do we go a double? <laughs> <laughs> It was it's very similar. You to remember that. when we were like first suggested the Odubel thing, and everyone's like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" And then like he actually got off to a decent start, and we were I like, "See, yeah, I know, I know." We were no. right, and then about like three weeks later, I was like, "Ooh, we we were not right." Yeah, uh, no, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Um, yeah, I I don't even know if you go two weeks because I'll tell you what: if you're facing lefties, and this is the issue that you're running into, and it's and it's not that good. And it's it was glaring yesterday, and it could be even more glaring, you know, after tonight. Um, then you have to make that adjustment, and you have to figure it out. And I don't I don't care if you have to, you know, move someone under the sixty day IL, or you have to, you know, cut bait with somebody that's on the forty man roster right now. Um, right. Y- you have to you have to try to do something, and if it means, you know, if if Scott Kingery is the next next guy up. Although the question is, is he? I mean, or is, would they go back to Guthrie? Guthrie. I mean, that's the only other thing. But I mean, I, like I, Kingery gives you. I mean, I know Guthrie can play some infield, but I think Kingery gives you even more versatility. There's more versatility, and I think at this point, with where this roster is, what they need is versatility. They, yeah, they need somebody that that can just do it all. And I cannot believe that we're having this conversation and that this is a possibility. But I mean, that's that's where this thing is at. I mean, he's got to continue to hold up his end of the bargain here. But, uh, I mean, he's certainly worked himself into us having this conversation and it not being a completely ludicrous thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, and I've been, I'm, you know, and, I, and I'm actually looking at the 40 man. And the funny thing is, is I, I don't know if they have anybody that they really want to get rid of. And I think that that's part of the issue. Right. Right. I mean, if you if you look at their 40 man roster, it's obviously that everybody that's on the current roster that's current that's currently playing harper who's not on the 60 man or 60 day il uh suarez who's coming back nelson and sanchez right um uh cody clemens dalton guthrie and then if you go a little bit further down the in the outfield depth you got muziati uh jalen ortiz and um 
Johan Rojas. They're all young. Right? I, I don't know if any of them really project as everyday major leaguers, but they're still young enough that you're not, you probably don't want to bail on any of those guys. You only have two starting pitchers on the 40 man that aren't on this team right now. And Michael Plasmeyer and James MacArthur, not that I think either one is, you know, going to be a, a star, but I do think that, you know, I think MacArthur is actually probably going to be an, a, a pitcher in the majors at some point in some level, uh, even though it won't be anything great. They only have two relief pitchers on the 40 man and Eric. Joe, Ullman, they, and they make a move like, what are you if, doing? If That's they make it. Move, I mean, it's, it's one of two guys, right? It's, it's Pache. You say like, all right, we did this and it just isn't going to be, it's not going to work out or yeah. it's Jake cave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, Jake cave earned a spot on this roster. I don't think there, there were very, you probably count on your hand guys that were better than Jake cave in spring training this year. You know I mean? Like yeah. there were a few, he hit the hell out of the ball from start to finish. And it wasn't just the numbers. It was yeah. consistently hard quality contact too. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy that hit 213 last year. He's got a career 700 OPS. He's a usable player. But if you say like, listen, our roster just, he does not fit the needs of this roster at this point. That's not a guy that you cut and say like, we're going to be haunted by this decision. At least I don't think so. No, I, but I hear the thing with Cave, and I think that I think that there's more value. I, like I think Cave's a guy that you could you could try and shuttle down. Like if you're okay, look, it doesn't work right now with us on this roster, but we think that he's a valuable depth person. Sure. So you could you could shuttle him down, um, and then uh, you know maybe you know th th then you 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 don't want to lose him off the forty man. No, I guess my point is that I would not hold back the here and now on the on the major league roster because I'm concerned about my ability to maintain or retain Jake Cave moving forward. Like yeah no no but I'm, what I'm, what I'm, my argument is is not and I I just maybe I should be a little bit more clear. I agree with you that you know he might not be the best fit at the moment for the major league roster. Right. But he is a guy I think you want to keep on the 40 man. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I so I wouldn't. I, yeah, and I'm saying like, oh so, yeah, you're talking. Yeah, you're talking about the 40 man move, not the correct. You know, yes. Down, yeah. yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind if you want to slide him down. I get that. I just don't think that you want to lose him off the 40. So you, right. what I'm trying to do is come up with the person that they get rid of off the 40. And I yeah. think that Pache is a more likely candidate off of the current major league roster to say, yeah, this isn't good. This is this was a luxury that we thought we could get away with and we can't. Yeah. And I think that that's that could be the one decision the only other thing is is somebody on the 40 man that's injured that's not on the 60 can they go on the 60 well my guess is that they probably let this thing ride out two or three weeks and then assess like i don't expect them to i don't i don't, know if, make, I don't know if it goes that long bob i don't know man like do you really like you think they could do that this week do you think that they would look at something like this weekend and say all right we really this is glaring through three games through five games we've got to fix it now well let's see what let's again i think today is a telling lineup yeah, I, if he goes with the same lineup again, and then they run into the same issues again, where they just don't have anybody to come off the bench in those spots, then I think you can sit there and say, "Yeah, you know what? We have we can't do this again." Well, I uh, will tell you, last night was the first night that we had the the newborn home with us, so um, that that created some some fun sleep. Um, <laughs> and so I don't. I don't have my like. I'm not as dialed in today. I feel like I'm stumbling over my words a little bit more. I feel like I'm ah, pausing. You're good. A bit more. This is good. I don't feel sharp, and I don't feel as angry as I did when we were. You're like Aaron Nola. 
You're yeah. on Noah right now. You just don't feel shy. I, uh, I just don't have the same fire that I had over the weekend. Was, like last night, I was texting you and I was like, pretty, pretty salty last night, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I don't have that same fire right now. Uh, and I don't feel like I'm quite on my game here. So uh, I, I want to kind of put a bow on all of this. I don't know if you have any other Phillies related stuff, a one last thing that you want to get to. Well, we have it. We do. I, of course, I'll, I'll have a one last thing, but. Did we, we did we even bring up CB Buckner? I mean, oh uh, yeah, let's talk about him because I know people gave us grief, for, or at least I got some grief for criticizing him on Twitter, and it's like, you know, all right, man, it's not the umpire's fault, blah, blah, blah. and I get it. It's the Phillies losing sixteen to three had nothing. They didn't lose sixteen to three because CB Buckner sucks as an umpire, but at the same time, you can't be that blatantly bad. A and then B, and it, this is the problem that I had. This is my bigger problem with him. He umpires games personally. And we saw it with the whole uh, Ollie Marmel thing in, in spring training with the Cardinals. And I really felt like in that game, because the Phillies were the team bitching, that they were they got more bad calls in in from home at home plate than texas did and it's not saying that it would it was the difference in the game because it was not the difference in the game but the most egregious calls and if you look at the report card they were all against phillies batters yeah i think there was one out of his 12 missed calls that went against texas the others were all against phillies batters i believe the umpire scorecard had uh him giving the ra- uh the rangers 2.63 runs in their favor the way that they graded out with the yeah. formula yeah. I mean, listen, you can talk about the final score all you want, but there were several critical calls in big spots, two of which with Brandon Marsh early in the game yeah. could have potentially ended up in Philly scoring runs. Nick Castellanos put together a pretty good bat early on in the game, two got rung up. Yep. You know, listen, th- that could be the difference between three, four runs right there and the rest of the way the rest of the game plays out. You People should know baseball. Like, I'm a little disappointed. Like, let me call out Mike Missinelli here. You know, like, I'm not trying to do the Crossing Broad Radio Wars thing, but a a couple things with Mike Missinelli. He tweets out on Sunday morning, I'm stunned that in the Inquirer game story, in which Philly's pitching gave up 16 runs, blame was given to the home plate umpire. CB Buckner isn't good, but come on, 16 runs. I hear you. And nobody's sitting here telling you that. I mean, listen, we just did an hour show where we just, said Philly's pitching was a disgrace this weekend. Yeah. Right, so like, right. you know, Hey, no problem with that. Philly's pitching. They should be at number one on the list of things that went wrong and, and the hierarchy of blame. No problem with that. But like, don't sit here and tell me that, that the, the inquirer story shouldn't have pointed out CB Buck's involvement in what transpired. You're, like I said, two key, key Brandon Marsh at bats. Then the Cassianos at bat, he was consistently bad. And not only that, I mean, he, it's, 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 Pick a spot, strike, or, you know, pick a spot early in the count, ball. Five pitches later, same spot, same elevation, strike three. You know how we always say, this is one thing that we always talk about at the high school level. I don't care if your strike zone sucks. Just make sure it's consistent. That's the one thing that we always say. And at the major league level, I do care that your strike zone sucks. If a strike's a strike, call it a strike. If it's a ball, call it a ball. But you better be consistent. He's neither of those things. Correct. And he is notoriously inept behind the plate. I mean, he is awful. You could not go into a game and have lower expectations for a 
umpire. Anytime that he's behind the plate, you turn on the game and you say, Jesus Christ, here we go. And somehow he doesn't even manage to meet the lowest of expectations. Mm -hmm. And not only that, it's like when you question him or you say, yo, man, like this is laughable. And you got players across the field looking at one another going like, what the hell's going on? Or, you know, I know that that was horrible. Holy shit. Then he acts offended. Like, how dare you question my judgment? Exactly. I mean, exactly. it's just horrible. And so, yeah, I, I, didn't, so I don't you, know you, what Mike's you, talking about there. And, and, and you by saw, the way, like, by the way, one more thing on Mike. No, no, go ahead. Go dude, like your inquirer, like, I can't believe the inquirer story. Tag the writer. Tag the writer. Yeah. Like, wait, wait, come on, man. You know who wrote yeah. the story? Tag her. Yeah. I agree. I agree. If that's what your beef is, you got to let the person know and not, not just say it, you know subtweeting it but um i mean you saw wheeler walking off the mound the last pitch he threw that called ball four that was absolutely strike three and he said something to buckner as he was leaving because that's when thompson took him out of the game you're right he's terrible he's terrible every time out and the fact and i know that there's an umpire's union and it's maybe stronger than any athlete's union that that's out there right that's that doesn't mean anything just because i've i've been a president of a union okay in the past at, at, when i used to work for the newspaper just because we have a union doesn't necessarily mean that i can be poor at my job if i'm poor at my job my company can still discipline me or fire me and yes the union will look into it to make sure that it was done sure. appropriately but that doesn't mean that that my company had to endure me they didn't have to keep me and I know that there's tenure with umpires. I get that. So it's a little bit different. You could probably address that as a former teacher as far as the teachers' unions go yeah. and how tenure plays in. So that plays in a little bit differently for sure. But at the same time, Major League Baseball can't let it continue to happen. And let's and and, and I'll say this because I pointed this out to my – I was we were at a family dinner last night. I pointed out to my, my dad and, and my younger son who was, we were watching the game. I said, no one is talking about Chris Siegel tonight behind the plate yeah. why because he's doing a good job as a home plate umpire his balls and strikes are very consistent might he miss one here or there of course he might that's typical right umpires are gonna they're not gonna get 100 percent. but as long as he's consistent and and mostly accurate it's not going to be talked about but when cb buckner's back there of course it's talked about because it's so egregiously bad and I mean, so he's, that, that's what it really is injects himself he he makes himself part of the story, which kind of goes back to the comments from Mike that yeah. I'm like, come on, man. Like, he is part of the story. There's no way that you could take in and absorb Saturday's game and not say that C.B. Buckner was an integral part of what transpired. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So hit me with the one last thing. <laughs> um, well, so... Um, Oh, we, we, we talked about this, uh, and this is kind of, again, we're going to be on the kind of the, the ending it on like kind of like a negative thing in baseball. But what, what do you, what do you, we talked about this via text. What happens to Anthony Rendon? Uh, I, mean, I, I can't believe what I saw because, and I, ho I hope there's more to the story, and I hope that we, we get a full understanding of what took place. But it's just looking at that 15-second video, to see a major league player reaching up into the stands and grabbing an, a, a fan by their shirt, curse him, curse at him, 
and then take a freaking be the first person to take a swipe at the guy. Yeah, he doesn't connect. But to do that, I mean, that is that's just bad all around bad top to bottom bad and i again i there could be more to it and 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 so i'm going to reserve final judgment but my my immediate reaction and and measured reaction not like you know just in the moment reacting thinking about it after a few days he's got to he's got to get a significant suspension for what what took place yeah, listen, I don't know what was said. I don't know the full context to, to echo your thoughts on it. But what I do know is that you cannot, A, call over a fan, and B, swing at a fan. You just can't do it. There's just – it's it just can't happen. So my guess is that it results in a suspension. Um, my guess is that the suspension is probably somewhere between 15 and 20 games, 15, 25 games maybe. Yeah. Even. I, I just think that there's – there's just one thing you, you just cannot have a player physically strike or attempt to strike a fan. It cannot happen. Yeah. And I, and I mean, unless it's like a self-defense thing, like, right. which in this case, it was not self-defense. Now, God knows, like when this story finally plays out and Anthony Rendon can't comment on it, didn't comment on it. Yeah. I believe that there's actually a police investigation tied into this thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot going on here. I just, I, for what I saw from the information that I have, I do not know how this guy does not get a su- suspension that lasts at least two weeks. Yeah, I, and I think it might even be more than that, Bob, because the only thing I can really kind of compare it to, and it, and and it's it's a completely different situation, but it but it we we've at least seen you know there's been documentaries made about it now, so we we kind of know the full story. But if you look back, you you remember the balance at the Palace in the NBA? Sure. Yeah, when the Pacers go up into the into the stands in Detroit and fight with the fans, um, and that was as ugly as it gets, right? Between fan fans and players, um, those guys missed a season, and they weren't even the fans were more were at fault in that one, and still those players not having the wherewithal to not react to the fans, right? Got suspended for a full season. If, in fact, this is the case where he calls the guy over and this is the reaction that he gets, this is, to me, almost worse. Because the fan – look, a fan could say whatever a fan says. As a professional athlete, you can't respond. In Detroit, they threw shit at the players, right? And one hit, one hit Ron Artest, and that that created that, that whole melee. Um, this was not that. And so, like, right. I almost look at it and say – if you're using the past as precedent, it might be more. It might be more than 20, 25 games. Maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. I mean, contact wasn't made. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. But it's a it's a horrible look. It's a horrible look. And I don't know within that clubhouse if, if players are like, yeah, you know what, good for Anthony for protecting himself or, you know, good on him for, for fighting back. And I just look at it and I'm like, that's the latest blemish on the Angels. And, you know, and actually, I know the Angels ended up winning two out of three this weekend and great job, guys. But that 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 organization is just an absolute mess from top to bottom. And that was the one last thing I wanted to talk about with the one last thing (laughs) is that if you watch that video, how many of his teammates and coaches just walked, walked by as it was happening, stood there and let it happen. Right. Nobody tried to stop him. Nobody tried to pull him away. Yeah. Right. They they could all see it. They all saw what was happening and they just they just ignored it. Yeah. And what does that say about the team and, and, and the people in there and that culture? 
I mean, that's that to me is a very damning thing as well. Had a, a look of I'm going to worry about me. I'm not getting involved in this. I don't want to end up on social media. I'm I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it looked like to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was that was that was my th- thought on it, man. Yeah. I that's that's a bad look for baseball right now. Holy yeah. cow. I just it's just a last thing that they needed for opening weekend. Well, uh, we will talk again, you and I, on Friday yeah. Yeah. Uh, after after the Phillies return to Philadelphia and play their home opener after three games with the Yankees. And hopefully, hopefully for everybody's sanity, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about some good things here, some positive things, because this is not, not the episode that I think you and I expected to do uh, on this Monday after opening weekend. So we'll be back at it later this week. Uh, I am Bob Wankel for Anthony Sanfilippo. Make sure you follow us on YouTube. Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, make sure that you're checking us out. Leave us a comment, all that good stuff. Follow us on Twitter at UpPhillies, at Ansant Philly, and at Bob Wankel CB. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Talk soon.